Welcome to the Freedom Chasers podcast, where we bring you stories, discussions, interviews, and successes of real estate agents and investors that are pursuing a life of purpose and freedom. Today, we have the benefit and the pleasure of having Rich Brecklin on. This is a guy I got to know in one of our masterminds. Rich has been a police officer. He's been a real estate agent. He's a real estate investor. And he's been able to transcend not only leaving the corporate world, but also being able to leave and live wherever he wants to. So we're going to dive into his freedom journey today, his success as an agent, and then his success in expanding markets. And so that being said, Rich, if you don't mind taking us into this by telling us about the, re- re- the craziest experience you had, either as a cop or as an agent, or if those paths ever crossed. Uh, yeah, thanks. I appreciate it. Um, I mean, I could tell cop stories for days, and sometimes it isn't necessarily the crazy ones that stand out to you. It's some of it, like what we think is funny. You don't realize as a cop something's traumatic until you tell it as a joke and no one laughs. Uh, <laughs> so those really, um, aren't, I mean, they stand out, but not as much. But there's been times where, you know, I've, picked up a client as a real estate agent and every red flag just goes off. And, you know, you kind of, you still have that thought. Um, you know, I had a for sale by owner client one time and I should have known with all the swords all over his wall. And, uh, then one day he fired me because he had too many showings and told me to get my damn sign out of his yard. And I did. Oh, and then he left oh. me a five-star review. <laughs> he left you a five-star review. Yeah. Super nice. How funny. Yeah. It's, I mean, just, uh, yeah, I mean, that's crazy, but no, like, two wild, like, real estate stories. I mean, uh, I did have someone ask to see a house, and I'm like, why does this house look familiar? And I was like, oh, yeah, I found a dead guy in the living room right there, and that's why it's for sale. Oh, in the living room. Yeah, I'm like, but he wasn't there anymore, thank God. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I hope not. So, yeah. Yeah, that, that, might affect, that might affect the resale value. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's pretty, yeah, pretty different. Um, so... Yeah, it's, uh, you know, thankfully they don't blend too much. Um, you know, they're not the same clients. Totally. So this just kind of leads into an interesting path here. So your experience, obviously, as a cop prepares, informs you about how people operate. Maybe, like you said, some red flags. Like, what would you say in regards to just like keeping yourself safe? Like, what are some of the red flags people should be looking for when they're, you know, out doing a showing or at an appointment? Yeah. I mean, go with your gut on a lot of things. Um, so when someone, like I had someone call me, want to see a house in the country and wanted to go at night. I'm like, you know, the, it's foreclosed. Everyone knows it's foreclosed. The power's off. I'm like, why do you want to go? And they made sure at night, like, yeah, no. And you know, I, I trust myself and you know, I carry, but I'm like, I don't want to put myself in certain situations. Um, things like that. And just when things don't seem off or if someone is hesitant to meet you, you know, if you're, Especially, you know, I don't want to put put that out there. If you're a female and you want to meet someone at the office first, and they're hesitant on that, or they don't want to, you know, do a Zoom meeting first, you know, go with your gut because it's not worth, you know, that potential commission. And we know how buyers are, especially online leads. You don't know, and the odds of them actually buying what they call you on are slim. So don't even put yourself in that uh, spot. And when I came to Arizona, uh, I had a team who was given Zillow flex leads. I'm like, yeah, I'll work some of those. I don't mind. And, uh, but it, 
all Zillow Flex want to do is appointment, like just show up the house, no prequel, nothing. Like that is not, that's not my style. One, I don't like, this is not my style. I don't like to waste time. And yeah, we can close those. But I'm like, man, how many people put themselves in bad spots, especially females, because Zillow Flex, all they care about, they don't care if it's pending. Like you set the appointment, you go to the house, you meet them there. There's no prequel of that client at all. Like, man, it's only a matter of time before that person just becomes a, a news story. So just totally. you know, take the same precautions that we all talk about and you'll see in the groups and you'll see when something bad does happen and people talk about those, but then people tend to forget about them, you know, as soon as that news is no longer news. Yeah, totally. Well, it's such an easy target. Like if, if you're kind of have a predator mindset, you can pick, you know, whatever attractive male or female you want to target and you know, yep. there's a good likelihood that they're going to just, you know, be at your beck and call and show up the property. Yeah. And I mean, I use certain things. Uh, I don't put my personal cell phone out there. I have uh, used call rail. I have 10 different numbers. I use whatever advertising pieces and, you know, I'm not saying someone can't blow that up, but it's easy for me just to change that number versus having to go through the whole hassle of changing my personal cell. So I don't put my personal cell phone anywhere. Um, especially after, you know, I arrested someone for a shooting, they got out uh, of prison and I was out of the PD, but they found, <laughs> found me on social media and they were apparently still upset about it. Wow. Um, I wasn't worried about it. I was like, man, if they wanted to, they could have just been super annoying and blowing my stuff up. So uh, I'm glad I just keep what I can personal because we put ourselves out there so much in this business. Mm. Yeah, totally. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so why don't you tell us about, obviously you were a police officer before, what do you think are the primary skills that transitioned over to real estate or what do you think you brought the most with you when you transferred your career? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. So in, when I was starting out and working to transition from law enforcement to real estate, at the time I was a detective and I remember most of my clients did not know that I was a, a cop also. But when I left and I, I bring that up and I use that as, as a point, you know, my job as a detective was to find you know, a solution to the problem, whatever that problem would be. Let's say we had a homicide, so or a shooting. So we would just reverse way, reverse engineer our way out of it. You know, the problem is someone was shot. We learn what we can about him and then the same way. So I do it with real estate. I'm like, all right, you have a problem. You need to sell your home. That is our goal. All right, how do we do that? We find a buyer. How do we find a buyer? We have showing. So I would explain it to the client, all right, how do we get as many people interested in your property as possible? And that's how I would sell it to my clients because that's how I operate. It's how I work through things is just reverse engineer my way through that, you know, focus on the most of my time on the problem. And then the solution is pretty easy. Yeah, just common sense, logic patterns just to get, yeah, mm -hmm. solid. What would you say your expectations of real estate were before you got in? And then what was it actually like? Yeah. So uh, I kind of got in on, I don't want to say an accident, but my wife and I wanted to open a restaurant in a resort town, like four hours from us. We we're going to leave everything. Um, thank God someone else bought that because we've never ran a restaurant and it would have been a huge, we would no way we would have made it. We always laugh about it, but. Oh, dude, it sucks. Thing, yeah. <laughs> you don't want to be in the restaurant industry, I promise. No. <laughs> and, and yeah, it, sounded, it was just a fairy tale. And then, uh, so I'm like, well, what else can I do? And a friend was getting his real estate license. Like, yeah, I'll do that. And I didn't know. I literally knew nothing. I thought you go into the office, the real estate company, and they hand you a file of homes to sell that day. That's I'm, I'm not kidding. That's what I thought. And uh, that is not true. And 
it took me a while. Like I always kind of took it as a joke, whatever. I got a few deals here and there, which was surprising. And I had no clue about anything. I thought you just told people you're a real estate agent or you go to the office, the phone rang and that was it. It was really like through my own like self-discovery and finding people who are doing things at a much higher level. I was like, I didn't even know that was a possibility. And then doing a lot of self-teaching from there, like learning how to do, I mean, like social media and targeted Facebook ads and lead capture and lead follow-up and conversion. So it went from, yeah, just thought I got to hand a sack of files to evolving into, you know, much deeper levels. I love that you said self-discovery there. Um, that is a very common answer that we get. Can we kind of dive deeper into what strategies and methods you use to discover yourself and, um, you know, the marketing strategies that work for your business? Yeah. I mean, a lot of it, I didn't know anything about like real estate marketing, but I could look at different tools. Like, all right, how can I get a client if I don't know them? And I was, I was not, uh, opposed to going after strangers. Um, so it became like social media, uh, Facebook specifically. And then I didn't know anything about lead ads or a business page. So then I just started studying and learning what I could. And then, you know, spending my own money and understanding what ad copy worked, what lead ads worked, um, and conversion ads and how I can work those and what the time frame was with those. And then each thing, time I did something, I learned a little bit more. I got a little bit better at something, learned what didn't work, which is more important, I think, for me than what did work. Um, and then also helped me evolve into other aspects of selling. And I was like, I don't want to be salesy, but when I switched it from, I'm not selling, like I'm serving, I'm helping. And it was really helped me when I started call, cold calling was, you know, people are like, oh, you're bothering someone. Well, well, if you're good at what you do and you truly think you can help someone, then you shouldn't have an issue calling. Or if you think you, or if you do, then maybe you're just an asshole and you don't believe in it. And you're just in it for the money. But which one is it? Or just if you're worried of rejection, then say that. But that, I mean, going through and learning several different angles of how I was going to grow my business uh, on my own is, I mean, something that, I don't know, it's beyond anything anyone can teach you when you start doing it yourself. As you started exploring these, because these are vastly different skill sets than being a police officer. Like, mm -hmm. obviously, I could see how some of the detective logic line transfer over, but obviously being great at running ads, like that's an art is just as much as it is a skill. Being great on the phones is an art just as much as it is a skill. Like what were maybe some of the challenges that you went through in learning those skills What were some of the mindsets that you had to adopt and how did, how did that play out for you as you got good at those things? Yeah. And I remember, I remember the first day, I mean, I can remember the day, the weather, right. For like started calling for sale by owner. So I printed out six for sale by owner, uh, sheets on Zillow and my wife went outside. I think we had our daughter at the time and I'm like, oh, I'm going to call these. And I was so worried and not about what they'd say. Like I was worried they were going to say yes. Cause I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> yeah, I can relate to that. Right? <laughs> yeah. And it took me an hour to make six phone calls and not one person even answered. And then I was like, mm. all right, what is the big deal? And eventually I just pushed myself through and getting past that first dial. And then I was like, all right. And I would, you know, I track everything. I track my, I knew how many dials I could get done before I go to work. I was like, all right, what's my goal? My goal is to leave this PD so I don't have to miss another birthday. So I'm like, all right, let's go get on the phone. You can't control who picks up. You can just control 
the dials you make, the time you spend doing it and go from there. And I would also take that time where I would try different techniques. Like I know like role play and script practice is important, but so many people just get ready to get ready. And I mean, I'm not saying it's not important, but I was like, all right, I'm just gonna, if I'm, if I, what's the worst that could happen that mm-hmm. I can get an appointment. Um, and my first FISBO, uh, was a physician selling his home for, you know, three times what our average was in our area. And, you know, he signed right there. I'm like, oh shit, like if he signed, like, why can't <laughs> yeah. I get others? Yeah, that first one. Totally. Just yeah, taking imperfect that, action. Yeah, it was just, honestly, and that was what it was with, with everything. It's just taking action. Um, hmm. You know, it's, I think Tim Grover, I just heard speak and he said, obsessed people change the world while interested people watch, something along those lines. So oh, interesting. Yeah, just uh, too many people just sit and wait. Totally. Well, and, you, and I could even see that in my own life. I think there's areas where you take I've taken action just so quickly, and then there's areas where I'm watching YouTube video after YouTube video, mm-hmm. and still haven't gotten started yet. Um, yeah, yeah I don't know. Yeah, it's easy to do. We, I mean, I'm like I've looked at how many courses on certain things I've bought. I'm like, I haven't. I didn't even go through that course. Like what am I doing? Or you see like people put on social media, like, Oh, I'm reading this book. I'm like you've read a book a week, but you haven't changed one thing about what you do with your life. Like, I'd rather see you to read one book over a year, but make massive changes based on what that book is that you're reading. I mean, I could read every book, but if I'm not doing it, I'm just, I don't know. I don't know such, such a valid point. Yeah. How much time would you say you leave for implementation? Uh, it just it depends on what I'm doing. Hmm. Um, like for example, social media, um, it was I just would jump into what I wanted to do. Like if I was running a lead ad, or I'm starting a YouTube channel, or if I'm doing Instagram, it was just let me get to work, and then also know that that first whatever I'm doing at first is going to suck. Mm-hmm but it'll get better. Always 100% of the time. It sucks until it's too easy. That's what I like to say. Um, yeah. What you just mentioned, um, reading a book for a year, if you had a book that you could read repeatedly for a year, which book would it be? Oh man. It depends on what I'm trying to do, like what my goals are. Uh, I remember when I was leaving the PD, uh, a book I read often or listened to often was the compound effect. I love and, that one. I mean, just such a simple, and that can be applied to anything. And I, I started to look at different things, how my life was affected. I'm like, like for example, um, like being here in Arizona, like I wouldn't be here in Arizona if certain little things, like uh, I was up for a promotion to sergeant and my buddy got it instead of me. Like, man, if I would have got that, I would have gone a third shift, we left real estate, did this, and we would have been stuck in Illinois, stuck at the PD and counting down the days of retirement. Um, you know, just little things like that. Then, oh, if I didn't make this call or do this thing one day, then it wouldn't have snowballed into, again, different things that have happened. Such a cool perspective to kind of take snapshots of your life and see the trajectories they take. Yeah, for sure. Super cool. So then kind of taking this in a direction, what would you say have been your most challenging times in real estate? Yeah, I mean, there's been a few. So like, obviously... Starting, I go leaving the PD and going on my own was weird at first. Like, yes, I was committed, disciplined, but 
you also have that spot where, I mean, I sold 34 homes my last year at the PD. I was a detective working a ton. And then I got complacent. Um, mm -hmm. I left the PD early. I left in the July. I was only in January. And I had a bunch of closings December. And I didn't have a TC. So I was working on those in November. And December was great. So I kind of coasted for a few months. And then that first, yeah, it was 2019. The first few months of 2019, I was like, holy shit, um, what did I do? Um, so then it forced me to, you know, just cat, play catch up. And then, but I only sold 30 homes that year. And I'm like, I'm not supposed to be going backwards. Like, I'm supposed to be going further. But then it was 20, uh, that was 2019. Then 2020, I sold 56. All right. Because I nice. didn't want that feeling again. Of course. It's awesome that you're able yep. to plow through that. What would you say to anybody experiencing a similar situation? Like what kind of guidance would you give them to, to be able to plow through it like yeah. you did? Uh, everything that's either got me to where I wanted to go or caused me not to has been discipline or straying from my discipline. Um, I mean, I don't care what it is. Like we all know people who are super successful in this part of their business or this part. Um, I'm not going to go door knock, but we all know people who crush it door knocking because they're disciplined and they're consistent with it. And same with cold calling. There's people who crush cold calling and some people who don't, but just because they've called once a month, I like, got oh, it doesn't work. So staying disciplined and committed and giving enough time, but as long as you put that effort and energy into it, like truthfully and believe in it. Um, I mean, that, that's what it's going to take to the next level. So when you're talking about discipline, you're talking about having like a same schedule every single day type of discipline, like time management, choice management. Yeah. Choice management for sure. Yeah. I hate time management, uh, but yeah, choice management. And I was talking to a coaching client today and we we're talking about schedule and she's saying this, I'm like, well, how she's so busy. didn't have time. I'm like, well, you created your schedule. Like, so <laughs> create your schedule, not just what looks good, but something you're going to stick to and allows you to meet your goals. And if you know, you have obviously sleep and gym and family time, put that in there first and then treat it like a job. So one thing I was doing uh, for a period of time, I was just working out of a home office, but for me, it was too easy to, you know, go into work, go down to my office, then come up to the kitchen. And then also at night I'd be with family, but then I would still be blending work in. So now I'm at the office at seven 30. If I don't have an appointment, I pretty much, I punch out at four and that's, and those are my, office hours and if that's just i mean how i how i treat it just like a standard you know nine to five yeah. you're, mm -hmm. you're a seven thirty to four kind of guy yeah mm -hmm. and there's times i need to work on something late i will but it uh just keeps it i don't know for me that's what works for me that's that's my schedule and i, I stick to it love it man yeah absolutely phenomenal so rich what tip tool or strategy has had the most impact on your success I mean, there's not really a certain like tool or strategy. It, it's, it's back to the discipline aspect, whatever it is you're going to do. I mean, I think I was just looking at a list, like 150 lead source, whatever top, like who, no one's going to work. I mean, there might be people that try and work 150 and then they get nothing, but find, you know, even one thing, but no more than I would say three lead sources and go all in hard and give it time. I mean, there's so many different ways, but yeah, staying disciplined and do what you say you're going to do. Um, that discipline 
I can't emphasize discipline enough, but that is what's going to get you there. Yeah. Focus, discipline, consistency, right? Yeah. What would you say was the process you went through to nail down your path? Like how did you, and how did you know when you had nailed down your path? I didn't. Um, I think I'm still trying to figure out my path. So, you know, when I would tell my wife I was going to leave the PD and go full-time real estate, I can't believe she said yes, because I had only sold a handful of homes. I was like, yeah, I'm going to do that. And, uh, you know, I knew what I wanted to do. I, I set a goal date. And then instead of like over-research, over-analyzing, I just got to work. And then that path's always evolved. I never thought, you know, when I got my license, like I never thought I was going to leave the PD. And I was next to be a promoter sergeant. I was a detective. I love what I did. And then that evolved into full-time real estate. And I was rock and rolling, you know, third year in the business there, business and deals falling in my lap. And then we decided we're moving to Arizona where there's, you know, 80,000 agents in the county. And so the path is always changing. And I didn't think I'd have a team back in Illinois. I was like, oh, I'll just refer business. And now that's evolved into, you know, growing a team in from afar. So it's the path is always this kind of, you know, like a tree growing roots. It's I don't I don't really know what, uh, you know. I'm always, I'm always trying to get to the next next thing, I guess. I don't want to say next thing because I'm not chasing, you know, whatever, but I'm always trying to grow and anytime I can impact someone else. So just to dive into that a little bit deeper, I, so you, you obviously have flexibility in your mindset to allow the shifts to happen. Mm-hmm. How do you, so what I found is the the difficulty in establishing discipline is really surrounded by the idea of having a, like a fixed set of activities, like having that fixed set of activities really helps propel you into an efficient schedule into something where you produce, but usually that's at the expense of maybe changing directions. How have you been able to be efficient while staying flexible with like, you know, expansion paths and these different ideas? Yeah. And I think sometimes when people are so rigid and this is my schedule, if one thing goes wrong, then they, they you know, F it, it's all done. Mm. Like, if you get a flat tire, you don't go stab all the other three tires. You know, it's <laughs> some people get so like, this is what I got to do. Um, but like now I have like on my, like I have four main things I have to do is, you know, prospecting, content creation, coaching, and expansion with expansion being my team in Illinois. So, I have to do something out of those each day. So for example, if it's my team in Illinois, team building, it is working on the training program. It's working on to make sure the onboarding, checking with agents, make sure they're able to succeed. If it's, um, you know, prospecting, whatever that is, if it's, you know, through my lead follow-up, so things like that, I just make sure I'm hitting that and then time blocking for those in my day. Very, very cool. Yeah, absolutely fantastic. Um, let's dive deeper into that. Obviously, you have quite a few things going on right now. You're building a lot of things simultaneously. So can we kind of jump into the businesses that you're working on building currently? Yeah, it's a little overwhelming, and there's always more that I, I want to do. Um, for example, I mean, I st- was starting a course on teaching agents to go from far- part-time to full-time, uh, full-time academy. But that got put on the back burner because I got too busy. This is before we came to Arizona. And then now there's been a need for that to come back because that is going to be the platform where my agents learn from. And it's going to be, you know, independent from where location I go. Well, what I was doing for one reason now is conserve something else. So it's brought that back. 
Um, but yeah, I'm really focused on growing the Illinois team, um, growing my Arizona business and growing an Arizona team. Um, and also with, uh, uh, we didn't mention it before, the 10-7 project is two, two guys who brought me on, uh, Mike Edwards and Chris Fisher, uh, both retired law enforcement. And that is a project for first responders to get into real estate. So what they've created is Unreal training platform. And we have over 100 uh, first responders, mainly cops, in there with a real estate license having success at a much higher rate than your average agent. And then I think the group has like 2,000 people in it. Um, but it's pretty cool to be a part of that, help those guys and see, you know, where they had maybe I'll sell a house or no expectations, where they're making six figures their first year and walking away from law enforcement and, you know, being a part of our brokerage at EXP and then having just, you know, the connections there. So it's pretty, pretty cool to have that uh, just be a part of it and see from the outside because I know where they're at and I know where they can go. So it's, I get it. Um, like I know the struggle of wanting, you know, to grow your business and not sure. And you're, you don't have that confidence yet. So that's pretty cool. Um, but that, and then, yeah, just, just, uh, becoming, you know, just doing more with real estate to, uh, free up more of my time or eventually my, my goal is to no longer be in production. Hmm. You're just able to fully focus on the team. Yeah. The, the teams and grow and help other people. You know, I don't, if my, if I get, my goal is to get to a point where I couldn't tell you one address or one, you know, name involved in any deals. I could, I could tell yeah. you everything about my agents. Totally. Yeah. And then, and then obviously helping them on their journey. Cause can you describe maybe some of the feelings, some of the experiences that you have, like, you know, leaving the police, like was a sense of relief, was a sense of joy, was a sense of happiness. What, what are, did you feel and what would you be able to anticipate any first responders coming over might feel. Yeah. Uh, I remember when I, when I said it, so when I put this plan in place, we we're going to leave January of 2019 and my daughter was born April of 2018. And so I took a month off, but the whole time I was worried about my cases and going back and I was back to work for a few weeks. And I was like, what am I doing? I had a handful of deals pending. I'm like, is there ever going to be a perfect time? Like what's going to change? If I leave now versus January, I'm going to go full time when it's the slowest part of the year. And that was my, really my rationale. So I'm like, you know what? I'm just another number. Just like any PD, you're, they're going to exist without you. Um, let's do it now. So when I did that, some people are like, you're an idiot. What are you thinking? You're giving up a pension, all this other stuff. Like, I'm good. But I was not like, I wasn't sad when I left. There's no tears shed. There's no long goodbye on the radio. Um, I was excited to get to work and especially to prove those who supported me right and my doubters wrong, but mainly those who supported me. Um, yeah, it was kind of a, it was it wasn't sitting in fear. It was like, all right, well, this is this is the big time. Let's get to work. And it was really more of excitement to, you know, not really my main thing is I'm not I don't miss my kids' events, I don't miss birthdays, mm -hmm. nothing. So it's nice to have that and not have to answer to anyone. That's incredible. I mean, just that alone. I mean, you only have your kids for so long and being able to be involved mm -hmm. is such a valuable thing. Fast forward now, you've been doing this thing three years outside the force. Yep. What, what are you experiencing now? Has it justified the decision to make the move? Yeah, I mean, when, for example, I mean, no, I know it's not all about money, but I don't do this because uh, <laughs> I love it. Great, yeah. yeah, I do love it, but it's not... So it is a little bit. So when I left the PD, I mean, I made good money as a cop in central Illinois where the average home was 150 
Now I was making one hundred five thousand dollars when I left with no rank, but I made I think like three hundred five GCI in twenty twenty, mm-hmm. and when COVID happened, I'm like, all right, well that's pretty decent money for selling one hundred fifty thousand dollars homes. So the money aspect has been great, obviously, but then the ability to use that to expand into a new market and grow there and you know take another risk because of what we did and. It's just, uh, yeah, I mean, it was a huge risk. And, it, you know, most people wouldn't leave when their business, like it was 2021 is when we moved to Arizona and my business was booming in Illinois. Like things just coming my way. And just, I think I sold 38 in 2021. And we moved out here in June or July. And I stopped prospecting for business in Illinois in April. Um, so I, if we would not have focused on moving, just focused solely in Illinois, it would have been you know, an 80 to 100 unit year, 100 just a, a single agent. That's incredible. But yeah. the risk, like we're pretty risk uh, tolerant. We're not averse mm-hmm. to taking risks that are when we bet on ourselves. Love that. Well, and it's, it's obviously played out super well. You get to live where you want to live, be where you want to be. Yeah. Um, and it has been, uh, I'll say it's been way harder than I anticipated starting over in a new market. Um, mm. But it's just, I mean, it goes with, it is what it is. If it were easy, you know, it, it, it's, I, I should have known better that it's not going to be just, oh yeah, you're here. And it took me, you know, longer than I thought to sell my first home, but now we're in a groove and it should end up being my best year. Fantastic. What specific challenges did you face when you switch markets? Um, so in Illinois, 75% of my business was listings. And I got that from expired for several owners than Sphere. So I come out here, there's there's no expires, few FISBOs, I have no sphere. I'm like, All right, I call FISBOs and they're selling. There's 80,000 agents. Not that that's a limited mindset of you can't convert them, but it was much different than what I was used to. So then I was like, all right, well, what do I have to do? So I had to look at what, you know, I had to play the game. Like, all right, what can I do? So with Home Partners of America type, you know, like, all right, I can use that out here. Um, there's so many people, you know, yes, there's a ton of agents out here, but in Illinois and especially central Illinois, we didn't have the influx of people dying to move into central Illinois here in Arizona. There's so many people that don't have an agent that are moving in here. So it presents a huge opportunity for me to get in touch with people that don't know me yet because they don't know anyone. And that's where like utilizing things like YouTube has came into play and Google pay-per-click where they don't, uh, yeah, we had million dollar homes in Illinois, but the clients that bought those are connected to the old names in central Illinois and the agents who've been there forever. Not always, but mostly here in you know Phoenix, the average is 600, but we have a lot more of the seven figure, eight figure homes and they're not committed to a, an agent. They have so many, I mean, there's so much influx, 238 people per day moving here. Mm-hmm. So it's a lot more opportunity of inbound. Yeah, absolutely. The app, the polar opposite of Illinois, really, because Illinois is leading yeah. the pack and people leaving. Arizona is leading the pack of people coming in. Um, so, yeah. I mean, it looks like you made a wise choice. Um. <laughs> yeah, and I know it's, uh, yeah, that first year is going to be, you know, some learning curves and it's not always easy. But in the grand scheme of things, like if you talk to any business and they're like, oh, our first year we were, we didn't do that great. We quit. You're like, well, what are you talking about? You quit your first year? Why would you do that? So I kind of look at with real estate. We get, especially coming from, having high success to now having to start, I don't want to say start over, but start again. Um, and then to build back up there, understand like a lot can change in 12 to 18 months. 
Totally. Yeah, well, it's just so cool to see how you pivoted. I mean, you, you built the skill set with expired FISBOs and Sphere, but then you were able not just to make that transition from the PD, but then you were able to transition again and go, okay, I'm going to get myself good at YouTube, pay-per-click, and these other modalities, and you were able to do that in a pretty short period of time. Yeah, it's been, uh, and I was never like a tech guy. Like I remember my friends, uh, when I got like a cell phone, they're like, who gave you a cell phone? And I've truly done like a 180 in understanding a lot more about tech than, than most. Um, so it's been, it's been kind of a fun thing to, to learn. Totally. What would you say, like, because obviously you're growing this group with first responders that want a greater sense of freedom and, and life ability what would you say a trajectory could be expected for a first responder that wants to make the transition? I mean, I'll say it, it depends. So, um, you know, it's called the 10, seven project and we had guys that have sold nothing. You know, we've had guys leave the project, but we've also also had guys sell 20, 30 plus homes their first year. So it depends and everyone. And we've, we're clear on this. Like no one's going to do the work for you. And what Mike and Chris have laid out, it's a true, like, just follow this, you will have success. And, but the people who have not or have left, and we can see what they've done, they haven't finished the course, they haven't reached out for help, and they don't attend the weekly masterminds. So I don't want to say I feel sorry for them, but all you have to do is raise your hand and ask. And everyone has my number, and if anyone has questions on something, like, like you get me for free. Like, <laughs> reach out. Like it's, if you have questions, like just, I mean, I didn't have this when I started. Yeah. So I think that's the bit, you know, it really is dependent on, I don't want to say everyone can go out and sell 50 homes their first year, but I mean, some could, but it depends on a lot of things. Um, but it's, you know, what, what you put in is direct correlation of what you'll get out. Totally. Well, for you to have that playbook straight away for them, it's just, as you know, we all know, it's yeah. just invaluable. Like they shortcut so many mistakes. Yeah, it's pretty cool when I see like guys, like one guy he came in, he's in Tennessee, never been in sales, a cop. He's like, yeah, I got a listing and uh, I'm like, cool. And it was like first weekend. And then a few days later, he's like, yeah, I called up for sale by owner. I passed. I'm like what new real estate agent sees a for sale by owner, calls it, lists it. And he's put like 700 contract in eight weeks, his first eight weeks. I'm like, that is insane. I'm like, keep it up. So we have a <laughs> few people. He's not the only one. So it's pretty cool just seeing, I mean, just dumb faith of going in and just getting to work. He's like, what do I say to seven owners? I didn't know what to say, but she agreed to meet with me. I'm like, wow. <laughs> so awesome. How do I sell you, the house? Whatever you just said. Like, yeah. sometimes, <laughs> it's like when you tell people like what's going to, what could happen, then they get scared. But if they don't know, then they just go into it and, you know, get to work. That's fantastic. Um, let's dive into this a little bit. Obviously, you're training agents that have not been first responders, and you're training first responders as well. Is it mm -hmm. easier for you to train somebody that has been a first responder that has the same career path as you kind of do? Or have you been able to really kind of mold it all together and kind of whip out a massive training platform for everybody? So everyone is different with their personalities, how they are, um, if they're red or green, uh, but with first responders, we all speak the same language. Most people aren't going to get offended. They can take direct criticism. Um, with non-first responders, sometimes you might hear more excuses or a yeah, but, um, or maybe lack some self-confidence. 
Um, but I've noticed like one thing that has surprised me with the first responders who are in the group that have not taken action of getting licensed. Um, there's a lot of apprehension because in law enforcement and any public government job, you're so handcuffed by that pension and the insurance. And so many people have such a hard time letting that go because your whole life, especially people mostly who choose that career, like, oh, you got a good steady job benefits and what else could you ask for? So getting people to break away from that mindset of they can be more um, than what is just a pension. And, you know, pensions are great, but I mean, let's face it, it's not going to be enough to hold you over by the time you're old enough to get that pension. So having that conversation with guys before they get in, but once they're in licensed and have the open mind of coaching, then it's uh, it's easier for them, I think, to to buy in. Totally. Absolutely. Um, kind of dialing it back a little bit, but you keep bringing up risk aversion and um, your capacity to take on risks and everything like that. Do you think there's a specific trait to you that makes you more risk tolerant as opposed to risk averse? Or do you think you just have more discipline? Do you think that's what it is? Uh, no, I mean, I mean, what's the worst that could happen? I mean, <laughs> it could, and that's why I was, and the agent was having an issue. I'm like, I'm like, calm down. Like it's real estate. No one's dying. No one's going to like, there's no reason for getting upset. Like, like clearly you've not handled the crisis situation. So <laughs> what is the worst? Could have? No one, no one's bleeding here. Like take a deep breath. Like it's not going anywhere. Your pro your urgency is not my urgency. So I think just understanding, like, like when we moved, came out here, people are like, what if it doesn't work out? I'm like, okay. Yeah. There's 40, you know, 48 other states I haven't lived in then. So if it doesn't work out, I'll go get a job, you know, waiting tables to make ends meet until we do figure it out. But yeah, it's just, uh, yeah, my, my big thing was you see so, and this is at the PD and in life in general. So the PD you talk to some guys like, Oh, how many, how long do you have to retire? And they would tell you the hour, the day, the minute, I'm like, Jesus, I'm like, if you hate that bad, leave otherwise, or do something about it. Don't just complain. And you see that in life, like people are like, Oh, I'd love to move so-and-so. I'd love to go here one day, one day, I'm like, well, one day may not come or something may happen. Right. Um, so that's kind of how we were. Like we weren't going to move out to Arizona until truthfully, it wasn't going to be until January. It was only gonna be a few months ago, but we fast forward. It was like, you know, let's leave now. <laughs> and uh, it. It was the right decision or whatever, but it was the decision and, and the decision had to be made eventually. So might as well just do it and come out here. And I that's just kind of love that so much. Yeah, like, me too. There's a lot of themes we, you know, in these episodes that we've shot so far where there's a lot of recurring themes. I don't, I haven't heard that yet. Like why just not fast forward your dreams? Once you kind of already made the decision in your mind, why just not fast forward it and experience it now? Yeah. And that's uh, kind of how, like, I don't know if it's a good thing or bad, but once I like, I was talking to someone else about this, like with home buyers and they know they want to buy and then they get like cold feet. Like how could you get cold feet about buying or selling? If, if I know I'm going to do something, then I become obsessed and that's all I know I'm going to do. And I'm looking for as soon as that window of opportunity opens, um, then I just gonna have to do it. And sometimes I've, you know, it's not the best decision. I'm like, well, whatever, move on. But again, did we die? So no. Yeah, and you always learn something. Great, yeah. 
always you always learn something like, i've made so many mistakes um different like when we first moved out here like my business i pretty much just forgot about my business in illinois like all right that's gone i almost let my license left i'll search for it but clients did not want to they it was hard for them to be referred so i lost a shit ton of money because i just forgot about it but I sh what i should have done is grew the team first then left but I was like, I don't want to worry about it. I'm just going to move. So looking back, <laughs> but now I can help other people if they're looking to do something similar. Uh, I mean, lesson learned. Can't do anything about it now, but just move on. Yeah. So so if, if you were in hindsight, you would have built the team. Yes. Got that stabilized. It's taken a year or two to do that, then moved. And then you obviously would have provided value to people there, kept the revenue, and then yep. had an easier financial process in your new location that you're building in. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I would have done and recommended uh, if someone has the ability and they want, because I thought it was like, ah, oh, it'd be great. Gold, like the golden handoff, I'll, but it just worked uh, <laughs> out that way. And yeah, a lot of business did not get closed, but oh, well, shit happens. Yeah. And I'm assuming your golden handoff is a reference to the book. Yep. Yeah. Great book and worked well for Nick, but uh, yeah. It was probably, and like I said, I'm a big believer in, you know, extreme ownership and accountability. So it's, you know, 100% my, on me, not on anyone else. So a you know, lesson learned there on myself, if I ever expand to another market again and leave. Totally. Definitely. Um, so that's another common recurring theme, extreme ownership, taking responsibility of your life. Um, yep. Just about everybody um, brings that up. Was there a revelation for you to develop that mindset? Because oftentimes people have a defining point. Um, but you being a former police officer, maybe it was just kind of the way you were built. Yeah, uh, no, nah, it's something that I've always. Um, so, you know, competing in bodybuilding, it's very subjective. And you'll see people talk about, oh, I got screwed or, oh, it was political. But my thought was, you can't, it's, it's subjective, right? But if you are so good where you don't give any a judge a doubt, that you're the best, then so be it. But if there's any question, like for a listing employment, like, oh, I didn't get it. Like, all right, that's my fault. That's no one else's fault. I did not clearly win him. I want to win him over so like beyond it's a fight for second place. So extreme ownership really helped me reflect on things like that and understand like, oh, I didn't get a position at work. I'm like, all right, well, it's no one else's fault. Um, like when I get, didn't get promoted as the sergeant, people are like, oh, it's bullshit. It was this. I'm like, no, I'm like the guy they selected was solid. I'm like, mm -hmm. let's see what he did. Like, what could I have done better in my career? Um, but yeah, I'm not a big fan of people blaming others or anything like that. And I try and, you know, don't let my kids blame anyone else. Like, no, it's, it's your fault. Here's why. And what can we do to get, because it does no good to blame. It makes you feel good for like a second, but at the end of the day, it's not going to get you better. Like when I've lost listing appointments, like, all right, what could I have done better? And then losing that listing appointment force me to get better and level up and then I'll get the next 10. Of course. Totally. Well, th and that temporary benefit comes because you've placed yourself in the role of the victim and yeah. being in the role of the victim means you're automatically making yourself weaker Yep. instead yeah. of, yeah. And you don't have the power yeah, to fix it if you're the victim. Yeah. And, uh, it's way too common right now for people to be the victim. I feel, uh, I mean, I hired a videographer here in Arizona, paid him up front went over everything, but I should have known not to hire him at first. Cause he was late and no showed a friend of mine. I'm like, that's my number one thing. 
but yeah, I hired him anyway, knowing this. And we met first day, he did it, gave me a timeline. He was a week late delivering. Then next time he is late to show up to shoot. And then by week three, he didn't show up late call. And I was like, that's on me. Like I knew better, but yeah, I hired him anyway. And, uh, and you know, I, I told him, yeah, we're good. And he didn't even apologize, kept the money, but it, again, that's, uh, that's on me, not on him. And lesson learned for myself moving forward mm. of, you know, hire better. I love your mindset. I could tell just talking with you, like you just brush everything off. You're just like, whatever, next thing, like whatever, next yeah, thing, uh, shit happens. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and not much really bothers me too much. I mean, if I do, I just keep it inside, <laughs> but yeah, for the most part, like, right, how do I fix it? Can I get, can I do something about it? Um, you know, if not, then I mean, you got to figure something out. Yeah. Well, it kind of comes back to your, your statement earlier, like nobody's dead right? Nothing to worry about here, mm -hmm. right? We start worrying yep. at the threshold of people dying. Until then, we yep. just keep carrying on. Yeah, definitely. So cool. So 710 is one of the projects you're involved in. Uh, 107 then, project, yep. 107, sorry. I am dyslexic. So, okay. 107. <laughs> you, and, then, and then that's part of your team building aspect, but then you're building a specific team that's kind of extends beyond that in central Illinois. Yeah, so the 107 project was is for you know first responders created by Chris Edward or Chris Fisher, Mike Edwards, and they brought me on knowing that I had had success doing that and help. And then yeah, I'm uh, building in Illinois. Um, my goal there is to build the biggest team as possible. And my goal or what I do for my agents there, I teach them. I want to teach them how to fish on their own. You know, built not bought. I don't want mm -hmm. anyone. Uh, relying on Zillow, Realtor.com, all these bullshit leads that teams will dish out to their agents knowing they're not going to work on themselves. So they know it's a big time waste for the most part, unless you have that skill to convert in systems. But I want them to be sufficient where they have the skills that I can help them acquire where they can grow. And I'm, you know, I give healthy splits to my agents and still provide one-on-one you know, -on -one coaching for them uh, and then grow the same in Arizona. Love it. Absolutely what phenomenal. You, you go. What would you say has been one of the greatest mentors for you? And I know you mentioned pre-call that you like to be in mentorship. Who would you say has been your greatest mentor? Yeah, I mean, probably the person that really changed my trajectory the most. Definitely, I mean, Joshua Smith. I think he's changed a ton of lives. Um, but that, and what got me, it was kind of, again, weird. I was at a Keller Williams event, and they're talking about cold calling. And I was like Googling like how to call for sale by owner. And I landed on Joshua Smith uh, podcast where he had someone who called for sale by owners. And then every other thing I've learned in real estate was some, something I didn't connect with, but with him, I was like, Oh, it's a real person. And then, yeah. you know, learning from him and just that process and just this really the simplicity of, you know, discipline and working hard and following what he's built. And it's uh, I mean, that's what, started this whole process of, you know, help me get the ball rolling. And then me taking what he has taught and then pretty much, you know, learning my own strategy from that. Love it. Yeah. I mean, we could all relate to that. I think we're all in the GSD family. So, um, yeah. shout out to Joshua Smith for throwing out that bomb yeah. content. Um, you mentioned, um, your coach for Tom Ferry as well. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah. Um, so that was, yeah, I was, uh, I never thought I would 
end up with a, as a Tom Ferry coach, but um, I was asked if that's something I'd like to be a part of. And so I thought, like, oh, yeah, I'm in. And then, but it was the, I don't know, eight or 10 week uh, training program, but it wasn't just a training. They were, they were, I mean, not everyone made the cut at the end of the time. Mm-hmm. So I was happy to get through that. And a lot more goes into it when I see what's on the coaching side of it and the amount of time, energy, and uh, money they put into their coaches to train, make sure they can understand, help their clients. Um, but again, it's, it's pretty awesome to be able to help agents because I know I've been there where you're in, you know, you want to make money now and you don't, I mean, you're so new and so young in the business. Um, so it's really cool to help them and especially understand like what issues that I have when I was new, what didn't I know, what did I need? Cause I've been there and be able to, to help them and see, you know, it's, it, it won't take long. I mean, we all look at things like, man, to, you see the top guys and we're looking at the top of the mountain, like, man, they're, you see the tip of the iceberg, but understand your life can be drastically different in two years. Hmm. What would you say is the common challenge that these new agents that you have when you're coaching them, what would you say is the activity or the mindset shift that once that happens, they turn from struggling to being successful? Uh, I would say the schedule and discipline aspect and then self-belief. So once they, and that's my first thing with my clients, like, all right, get your schedule dialed in. Before we do anything, I want your schedule. I want, and not just something that looks good on paper. Like, yeah, that looks great. Um, something you're going to stick to. And then I want you to, when you're going through your day, write down what you're doing at that moment. It doesn't fit in your schedule. But once someone gets their schedule, knows their activities and tracks that with the discipline of it, and then believes that they can be great. Um, that's when I, th- I see a lot of progress happening. Hmm. So as far as a, let's, let's take that a little bit deeper. So you're coaching somebody, they put a schedule mm-hmm. together. They're just not following it. What do conversations like that look like after that? Yeah. And it depends on the, the client. So, you know, always ask me like, how do you like, how do you like to be held accountable? How do you like to be coached? Mm-hmm. Some people, um, if I coach them how I like to be coached, they will shut down and just stop. So once I understand how, but I'll ask them, I mean, just like when I was a detective, the person who asks questions is in control. It's never a why. Some people take why as an attacking, but you know, it's tell me more of you know what got in the way, what can we do to fix this? Um, and under, you know, maybe they don't have their own why yet of what, they really want it. But I think if people don't have a real reason, if it's just to make money, mm-hmm. then that's not going to get someone to really do anything. Cause at the end of the day, like, Oh, whatever, I got a house. I'm fine. I don't need, I don't need to go push extra hard. But if someone has gold, like for me, like I want to stay home. I don't want to miss my kid's shit. Like I had, a, I was disciplined in my schedule. Um, so it would go for me, go back to understanding of, are you going to do what you said you're going to do? Do your actions match your goals? And then, depending on how, again, their personality of how I frame that question and then, you know, to help them under, uh, uncover why, why they're here. Like, why are they in coaching? Cause again, if they're not a fit and if they're not coachable and they don't, then maybe we're not a fit and I don't want them wasting their time or mine. Yeah. Phenomenal. I love how you mentioned asking the right questions. Um, because me personally, I think that is the most important part in sales in general. If you ask the mm-hmm. right questions, you could tailor a personalized solution to that person that 
actually solves their problem. And the same thing with the agents that you're training. Um, So when you say you love to ask the right questions, what are the top two, three questions that come to mind? I mean, you can follow anything like, tell me more. I love that one. Tell me more. Or or repeating exactly what they just said back. When you say that, what do you mean? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I love that one. And what would that do for you? And how would that make you feel? Yeah. What would that do for your family? And what would that do for your family if you didn't get this done? Like, yeah. If you had to reflect on your day, like, what does that look like? Is that good or bad? But yeah, I love asking questions, like, especially like uh, with listing appointments. When I was going on an expired appointment one time and I was ready to sign, I'm like, all right, are you guys ready to sign? Like, uh, no, uh, we, we have another appointment. I'm like, oh. And I'm like, did I do something wrong? Like, <laughs> no. I'm like, oh, this is where my client signed their paper. I'm like, well, yeah, we, we have, I'm like, do you want me to call that agent for you? And I'm like, you would? I'm like, yeah, I'll take it right now. That way we can work together if you're comfortable with it. Like, yeah, we, we are. I'm like, all right, I'll call and cancel your appointment. But just by asking, but if I would have been passive and not asked any questions, I guarantee that agent would have got the listing. Because she was a bulldog. She was, yeah. and that's why I knew it was. Like, uh, I'm not, I'm not giving them people thought like, oh, that's kind of dirty. I'm like, how's that dirty? Like I'm providing, this is not a hobby for me. Oh, that's slick. This is, <laughs> this is, and I would respect any other agent doing the same. Like I take Absolutely. this serious. If you don't think you're the best at what you do and can help others, then get out of my way. Exactly. Get out of the field. Yeah. Yep. That's so valuable. And obviously now that you're doing what you're doing, there's probably a lot of people that would prefer not to compete with you. So yeah, now I have to start over. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and the cool thing that I love about real estate, I know not everybody loves this, is that the game is always changing. Like tech mm-hmm. changes things, markets change, economies change. Like there's so many factors that goes into making our job what it is that it, it seems like the job that I, I mean, obviously I'm in like a different position than I was when I first started, but even when I'm c- conducting real estate transactions, it seems like such a different thing than seven years ago as mm-hmm. far as even where the job is. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Um, you know, like in central Illinois, it was always, not always, but a lot of times it was hard conversations. It was, oh, you know, yeah, I know you bought your house for this, but it's not worth that. It was, you know, talking about price reductions. And I come to Phoenix and it's agents with shitty, shitty photos on a $2 million listing and not returning calls. I'm like, man, when the when the tide recedes, we're gonna see you guys are pants down. Like you agents who are complacent right now, like you are gonna be out of the business. So, I'm not saying I want things to get hard, but I like when things get hard because mm-hmm. um, that's where I will shine and take mm-hmm. over. Um, like when COVID happened, a friend of mine asked me we're at the office, and he said, "Oh, are you gonna go to the uh, the meeting the board's putting on about the COVID grant?" I'm like, <laughs> no, I'm gonna go in here and get on the phone and make my own grant money. <laughs> there you go. My mindset at the time was, who can I put out of business today? But not that I ever wanted to put anyone out of business, but that was just my mindset going into the day, just because I knew we were in for a battle, at least I assumed, with the unknown and uncertainties of what was going to happen in the market and the economy. So, like, I got to get to work. Like, I'm not, I don't have the skills to just sit back. Yeah, it's, that's it. It's so, if we're going to go from 5,000 agents to our market 2,500, I'm going to make sure I'm one of them. Yeah. yeah. Damn sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've heard that the agent count has already dropped quite a bit. 
Yeah, I, I don't know who I heard it from, but someone just recently said, I think some, that NAR put something out where like 20 to 30% is yeah. already. And I know our inventory here has uh, doubled. 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 Yeah. I mean, but we're still super low. Uh, Say, what is doubling? About- we're at one month mostly around here. What is doubling in Arizona? Right. <laughs> uh, I mean, a few months ago, we were 3,500-ish, and now we're like 7,300. And oh. normally, I think we're like sixteen to 20,000, I think. Oh, wow. I, mean, I wasn't okay. here when we had those numbers, but you know, um, I think the lowest it's been since I've been here, single family detached, has been the twos, like high twos. Hmm. Yeah, we're at point eight. I just looked two days ago, and that feels higher because it is higher. But right. When I started in fifteen, it was two point two. Yeah, and I think we're still under a month of uh, you know absorption. But hmm. you know, I'm used to Central Illinois, where the average was like ninety days on market. So talk about that for a second, if you don't mind, like I've never worked a 90 day market for the most part. Like I've just been in this cherry bubble world for the last seven years. Um, Obviously it's a lot more price reduction conversations, but Mm -hmm. what kind of challenges come up in a, in a world that has a 90 day market? I mean, so when I would do like my numbers and projections, like, all right, I have to get this many listings, this many, if I wanted this many sales and I was really conservative with my numbers and I was like, all right, my list to sell ratio, I would do 50%. Mm. Just to be, and I'm not saying I wasn't good, but sometimes like we, people couldn't afford to reduce their home that much. Um, but I think my average, uh, when I would list a home, um, sold properties was still 45 or less, but the agents I was used to work around, there's still some that didn't do professional photography. And when I had access to a videographer, pretty much all of my listings, I would do video on and not so much to promote the listing, like, yeah, it would work. Um, but it's a, you know, a reflection of me. I mean, I've got a listing totally. before they went on Google and she's like, I'm like, how'd you find me? She's like, I went on Google and see who listed medium priced homes and still marketed in all of yours for pro photos. And when I would do different stuff with like retargeting my database with video and, you know, custom ads with video. Cause when someone watches a video, now you can retarget people who watch at least three seconds on Facebook and, um, so then I would use that stat for other listing appointments. Like, look, this listing got 98,000 views. We have, you know, 110,000 people in Peoria. Like, who do you think is going to get more exposure for your listing? And then back it up with, yeah. here's my list price, you know, list to sale ratio, average days of the market versus who you're hiring that isn't going to do any of that or, or even understand any of that. Yeah. Um, so just by pure differentiation of service. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because no one knew who I was. For sure. I got a real specific question for you. So when you're dealing with a 90-day market, mm-hmm. when do you know it's time to reduce the price and when it's time to wait? So I would look at uh, like average days on market, and I think we could see average showings, yes. um, average showings to pendings. So I would take it like, all right, if the average home goes under contract in this many days, and so I would break it down and see how many potential uh showings that took and divide that over the time like all right well you're getting you should be getting we'll say one per week and we know that most showings happen in the first four weeks and if we're not there then i would have that conversation and if i had, especially if i had good comps to back it up um you know after three weeks then i was having a price reduction conversation um like my first fizzboy list and he went to list high and i still can't believe i did this but i went with him to a listing when i knew he went to list high with five pre-filled out price reductions and just had them sign them right then. 
I said, we'll do that, but here's what we're going to do. I'll call you before we do it. Um, but that way we'll know if we're on the money or not. Yeah, it got me really good at also communicating with my clients. Um, cause if you know, imagine where I'm, I'm working for you selling your home and five weeks goes by and you don't hear from me. Then I call and like, Oh yeah, we gotta do a price. Show. And you don't have that trust with me anymore. So I made sure I was doing weekly phone calls or send a bomb bomb video. And I'd always send market stats, something to back it up. Like, Hey, here's what we're seeing. And even if I wasn't talking price reduction, at least you're starting to see that data of, and know that I'm paying attention and know that I'm communicating with you to keep that trust and keep that, you know, that, okay, Rich knows what he's talking about. He's on it. Um, then it made it a little easier because the last thing I wanted was a client reaching out to me and saying, what do you think we should do? It's mm. like, if someone has to reach out to me, then I've dropped the ball and I've done that. And that's how I got better. It's like, shit, that's a shitty feeling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Especially because we get paid so well for what we do. Yeah. What would be the best way that people should get a hold of you and reach out if they want your mentorship, if they're in first first responder and they want to make that transition to a life of catching their kids' birthday parties? Yeah. So for uh, the the 10-7 project, if you're a first responder, go to ten the number seven project.com and go to that. That'll help you uh, start that ball rolling. Um, but if you want to connect with me, just Instagram is the best spot. It's just at Rich Brecklin. And uh, that is, I mean, that's, that's where I like to spend most of my time if I'm communicating with people is to Instagram. It's uh, the less drama, I feel, a social media platform. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Totally, totally. Awesome, man. Well, Rich, we want to sincerely thank you for coming on. Yeah, man. For giving thank us you a glimpse, Yeah, into your life, to the life of being a first responder, you know, to come in the real estate side, creating that freedom. Thank you for being risk tolerant so that not only can we benefit from that, but from everybody listening can benefit. Um, and guys, just if you're listening today, please write one thing down, commit to one action in the next seven days, tell somebody about it so they can hold you accountable. This freedom is not as far away as you think. Just start taking actions towards it. And uh, thanks for guys for listening and we'll catch you on the next episode.